Good morning. Um, I was a pirate last night. I'm a pastor this morning. We had a great time. It's good to be with you this morning. If you're online, good morning to you. It's good to see you. Uh, each week, I'm zeroed in on this, this time with you, um, preparing. And uh, in all honesty, one of my concerns week to week is, you know, having it, it framed in such a way that it speaks to us. But week by week, the Lord adds to it things I could never have seen coming. And that's the beautiful thing that I want to highlight and underscore. Um, thank you, Kayla. Uh, that was so attuned. Obviously, the Lord had done a little preliminary work to, to bring your thoughts and this psalm and this message together in such a beautiful way. And these lyrics that we sang just a few moments ago, don't let your heart be troubled, hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil, fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you, so take courage. Hold on, be strong. Remember where our help comes from. That's from the song Good Grace that we sang, the chorus. Psalms are pretty remarkable, and we are in Psalm 131 this morning. The Psalms, I think, are special within the, within the book, the Bible, because they not only speak to us, but they speak for us. I grew up with hymns. I enjoyed them very much, very much. But you sing hymns in the third person. I don't talk to people in the third person. So even though I continue to love the hymns, I also love the new songs because they're in the second person. Like the songs, they speak for me. They speak for you. When you sing them, it puts you in the position of actually speaking to the Lord, not speaking about the Lord. Psalms speak for us. Psalm 23 is a well-known example. If you do not know Psalm 23, it begins this way. And these words should never be forgotten, not by any of us who name the name of Jesus and call him Lord. Psalm 23 begins this way, the Lord is my shepherd. Not Israel's shepherd, although that's said elsewhere in the Old Testament, but my shepherd. That's personal. That is the psalm speaking for me and speaking for you. When we let psalms speak for us, they formulate the affinity of our heart toward God. Because the psalms speak for us, 
The Psalms are like a large walk-in closet, which I would really like but have never enjoyed. But sometimes when we stay at other places, we have relatives and stuff. They have these large walk-in closets, and you can walk in there and move around. I don't just reach in for something. I move into there. And on the, on the hangers are wardrobes with all the accessories and things, you know. For every occasion, every event, there's an outfit. That's what the Psalms are like. It's said that uh, clothes make the man. Psalms have a similar effect because the Psalms speak for us. Psalms have a way of changing our temperature and our temperament and the frequency of our heart. And in that sense, the Psalms do make us. They rehab our spirit in a therapeutic way. The Psalms outfit us, clothe us, clothe our spirits in a proper way for heart-to-heart time with the Lord. And this is true of this psalm that Kayla read this morning. I would like us to read it. So open your Bible if you haven't opened it yet and turn to Psalm 131 or swipe to it. But what I want us to do is start at the end of the psalm and read backward. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The psalmist is talking to the Lord. This could be a prayer. These are the words of the thoughts, sentiments, and the very spirit of his heart toward the Lord. Oh Lord, he begins. But if we work back to front and last to first, we see clearly the spirit of his words beginning in verse 1. The psalmist calls others in verse 3 to hope in the Lord. He shouts it out. And then in verse 2, he says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. That's like an advertisement. He's saying, you can have this too. You can know this too. And he tells us what it's like. And it's, it is such a beautiful picture of a child secure and at peace with its mother. Like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. 
So when we get to verse 1, my heart is not with things above me, beyond me, over me, as he begins. We realize his eyes are not fixed on things over his head or above him or beyond his reach or too big for him. And he says, I am not occupied. The word is literally, I do not walk. And it refers then to being absorbed with, busy with, occupied by things, he says, that are too difficult. The word for difficult can be translated marvelous, too high, too difficult, too marvelous, too strange for me. He's saying, in effect, where I am, I am centered. I am content. I am secure. I am at peace with you, O Lord. You are my peace and security. In fact, our peace with God is secure when we are with him. Security like that is found nowhere else. That's what the psalmist is claiming. Why does the psalmist describe himself as a weaned child? Well, we have a weaned child in our family. Her name is Naomi. And she is turning three on this month, the 10th day, three years old. And we have enjoyed her from day one. And there is nothing more beautiful to me than when she is with Shelley, or more commonly with her mother, and she is just at peace on her mother's chest. Just serene, completely content completely safe. It's a beautiful picture. And she just looks at anybody else, but it's as though her gaze is somewhere else, somewhere deep within, where all is well with the world. A child weaned off its mother's milk, and this is very important, and this is why the word weaned, W-E-A-N-E-D, not winged like a cherub, but weaned off mother's milk. That's what it means. It's not there because it's ready to eat, to drink mom's milk. It's not there for that. It's there for the closeness, what I would call the natal love that is a, an alliance between a mother and child. And there's nothing else that compares to that. Nothing else, no other relationship is so vital as that of a mother and child. Nothing brings such peace, comfort, contentment like the pure and intimate alliance of natal love. That's the love pictured here. And for each one of us this morning, the love pictured in verse 2 
is what I call, just, just called a minute ago, an intimate alliance of natal love. Natal is a reference to the time and nearness of birth. All things having to do with birth. Having to do with mother and child. And what I want us to appreciate for us as we think about that, whatever your relationship with your mother is today, if you dig, you can find some pretty special memories. You can easily imagine what it is like to be a weaned child on the breast of your mother, safe and loved. What I want us to appreciate this morning is that is a bygone affection. The like is never going to be known by you or me again. Not that, not that love, not that security, not that peace, not that completeness, not that contentment. We're no longer innocent like that. Our lives are filled with other relationships. But that was a singular period in life that, in a sense, emblazons on our hearts the love of a mother and all that it means to us. Every child grows up, every child enters new relationships, every child leaves home, enters the world, and with it a world of new desires and new intrigues that lead us far from home. And it's the way of the world. But nothing quite matches the love of a parent, but it particularly the love of a mother. And the psalmist says something quite remarkable here in verse 2. The psalmist claims that he knows this experience as an adult. With all of the fears and difficulties and challenges and other relationships and other responsibilities and all the duties of adulthood and responsibility and other relationships, he claims that he knows this experience this alliance of natal love that is incarnated in a mother and child's relationship when the child is weaned but is there because of the affection and love. He knows this in the very center of his soul, in the very being of his life. What could revive, what could restore, what could recreate that one-of-a-time experience when the, world was your, when the world was your home and the threats that were really no bigger than your neighborhood and the disappointments that were really no bigger than your wants and the hurts that were really a tumble or a scratch were silenced in peace because you were secure in the arms of your mother. What could revive that experience in our lives? The psalmist says, the closeness that I have with the Lord of all. That's what he is extolling. That's what he is praising here. That's what he is communicating, the unparalleled peace 
and security of a relationship with the Lord. And he likens it to an unparalleled relationship and peace between mother, love, and child. The psalmist tells us in the first and last words of his prayer, the Lord, in the presence and intimacy of the Lord, everything the world offers, things the heart might aspire, things that attract our eyes, things I might set ahead or in place of the Lord, those things that are presently beyond my reach, those things, says the psalmist, do not have my attention. They are not the focus of my life. And not only does the psalmist liken the Lord's love and the Lord's open arms to that of a mother, but the prophet Isaiah does too. In one of the strongest expressions of God's love in the Old Testament, perhaps only to be outdone by the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ, In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, the prophet says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she's birthed? Even if mothers were to forget, as impossible as it is to imagine, that's my commentary, that's not the the, uh, prophet, but even if mothers were to forget, he says, I could not forget you. Those are the words of the Lord as the prophet speaks. And God says, my love is like a mother's love, loyal love. How utterly encouraging and amazingly personal. God's love is accessible. And it is secure. And if that love, unthinkable as it is, should fail, the Lord says, my love will not. In the very next verse, verse 16 of Isaiah 49, the Lord says through the prophet, see, in other words, he says, let me prove it to you. He says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I can't help but think of the nail marks in the hands of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, a mighty preacher of the previous century, wrote this about Psalm 131. He said, Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. When we begin to follow the Lord, we're drawn to him. We become his disciples because of his love. There's no love like that anywhere for us. It can't be counterfeited. It can't be compared But that's not all that we know of his love. We grow in his love. We grow deeper in it. We learn more about it. As we practice it, 
as we spend time with the Lord, as Kayla said, and admitted, and we all can agree, we all can identify, so much crowds the Lord out of our conscious life. And we run to him when things are too much, too high, too tough. And our eyes are not on the Lord, but they're brought back. What this psalm is saying, let's be the first to go there instead of going everywhere else with our eyes and our hearts and our interests and our attractions. And let us know the love of the Lord on a regular basis that we might grow in it deeper and more secure. The Lord's Supper is in remembrance of the regular and repeated historically Passover meal. But at that Passover meal, when the Jewish people celebrated the love of the Lord that was demonstrated to them in their redemption from slavery, when they were brought out of Egypt, the things that were celebrated at that Passover meal commemorated what God had done. And the things that he had instituted for his people And that began a relationship. That was how God made them his people. Jesus, on the night in which he, with the disciples, celebrated a Passover meal, he used the elements of the Passover to point to what he was going to do for you and me. He pointed in these elements to what his death would mean for you and me as a demonstration of God's faithfulness and love. And so he says, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 and following, on the night He says, on the night that he remembered he took bread and he broke it, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And later in that service, that meal, he took the cup, which was a closing or third cup, And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. In other words, Jesus was establishing a new covenant with us in this meal, in this bread and this cup. A covenant that is founded, anchored in Jesus' death. That's how the covenant uh, was done, sacrifice. And he demonstrated in establishing this covenant, this beautiful covenant, which was celebrated as the new covenant in his blood. This is a new relationship that is completely founded on Jesus Christ and a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It is a new relationship with God. And across the pages of the New Testament, we are called a new people a new race, a new humanity, a new nation. 
It's even alluded that we are a new Israel. We are not the either or the or. We are the one new people of God. And there have been times over the months that I have said, let nothing divide us. Let nothing separate us. It astonishes Paul. And you can read this. It astonishes and breaks the heart of Paul when he sees believers, the new people, the new nation, the third way, the new covenant way to experience any kind of division, any kind of separation, that anything could come between us when we are grounded in our peace in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14. Let's remember these things. That's what Jesus wanted us to do. I said a moment ago that we are to grow in that love. I think that's why this meal is to be a regular thing. It's symbolic of God's love. Because we'll forget it if we're not reminded. So remember. Drink deeply. Absorb this. Take it to heart. Never walk away from this meal without changing some little bit, either in deeper understanding or greater intention or a fuller awareness of who you are in Jesus Christ or the power that is in you to make a difference in this world and the people that you care about, the people you meet throughout the week. You are the new creation. You are the resurrection people because the Holy Spirit indwells you. A down payment, a foretaste, a guarantee of the resurrection life. Not something we just look forward to, but something we experience in the power of God living and dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit by faith. Let's... uh, prepare our thoughts and our hearts to receive the bread and the cup. This is my body for you. Take and eat.
the same way after supper, the cup also, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink it. this cup, Paul wrote, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he will come because of this covenant. He will return because of this covenant. Because he loves you. Heavenly Father, Open our hearts, enlarge them. Open our minds, enlarge them, that we might contain a little bit more, understanding a little bit more. How great is your love for us? Let it change us, Lord. Let it change us into the repose of a weaned child, safe, secure, at peace, in the power of a mother's love. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.